This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we'll check out last night's action in high school hoops, and there wasn't any. There was supposed to be, but you know, COVID. Uh, Could the Penguins and Capitals keep their win streaks alive? Uh, One did, one did not. We will break down the south region of this year's NCAA tournament. Yesterday, we broke down the West region. I did not have Gonzaga coming out of that region. Today, in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, we will break down the South region. We have more NFL free agency news. Washington makes another good signing. The Ravens do as well, although they have a lot more work to do. And the Steelers are just losing players like it was their job. I mean, it's ridiculous how many players. <laughs> there is a mass exodus of players. Anyway, and I got my shot yesterday. I'll talk about that as well. I don't know if you care, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of today's show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Like those pages, follow them, check them out. And at any time, drop me a line. Ask me a question. Leave a comment, an opinion, anything we talk about. Or anything you want to talk about. Within reason, of course. And, of course, we'll take your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, Shamon, 301-759-2628. And our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. All right. Let us kick off today's show as we kick off every show. Because nothing changes around here. Well, Unless, of course, I have nothing to do with it. That's another story for another day. Let's rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with boys high school basketball where we had a bunch of postponements and not much else. Frankfurt at Kaiser was postponed. As was Pendleton County at Moorefield and East Hardy at Berkeley Springs. Yesterday, Hardy County went to red on the beloved West Virginia COVID map. Because y'all know how much I love that COVID map in West Virginia. Since Hardy County is in red, all Moorefield and East Hardy sports are shut down until the county gets out of red. Just so happens they're the only red county right now in the state. Uh, The girls game between Petersburg and East Hardy at EH also postponed. Tonight, maybe, hopefully, Berkeley Springs is hosting Petersburg in both boys and girls action. Uh, One addition to the schedule for tomorrow because the Frankfurt boys lost games this week 
against Kaiser and Moorfield. Tomorrow, an unscheduled game as the Falcons head up over the mountain to take on a Preston. So there you go. High school volleyball uh, yesterday. Gracie Lindner had 19 points and 11 digs to lead Mountain Ridge to a 3-1 win over Allegheny. On the ice last night, more history for the great eight. A shot, and Ovechkin scores! Alex Ovechkin has passed Phil Esposito for sixth all-time in NHL history. That is goal 718. A power play marker from the office makes it two. Nothing. Washington. Well, the cap stick with it here. The big line stays out there. Connor Sheary gets out there. The puck goes to Schultz. A quick pass over to Ovechkin. And he rips that top shelf short side. What a shot that was. Once again, scored a big goal for him. Historic goal, but he continues to be on the hot streak. And more importantly, the Capitals up 2-0 make the Islanders pay for two mistakes they made. Two goals. John Walton and Ken Saber in the call on the Capitals radio network. Ovechkin, you heard him, career goal number 718. He now sits all alone in sixth place on the NHL's all-time goal-scoring list. Up next, Marcel Dion with 731. Ovechkin also had an assist for career point number 1,300. Uh, Caps beat the first-place Islanders 3-1 in Washington, T.J. Oshie and Nicholas Backstrom also scored for the Caps, who have won six straight. Elsewhere, the Penguins had their six-game win streak snapped with a 2-1 loss to the Bruins in Pittsburgh. Dan Vladar. Who? Dan Vladar made 34 saves to pick up his first NHL win in his very first NHL start. It was Boston's first win in Pittsburgh since December 2015. Brandon Tenev had the lone goal for the Pens. Major League Baseball spring training action. The Pirates doubled up the Twins. Get it? Doubled up Twins? Anyway, uh, they beat them 4-2. Kevin Newman had three hits from the leadoff spot for the Bucks. Elsewhere, the Nationals lost for the Marlins 4-3. Uh, Victor Robles and Josh Bell, former Pirate, homered for the Nats, and the Orioles lost to the Rays 7-1. Today, the Pirates take on the Rays. The O's are hosting the Braves, and the Nats, uh, they have the day off. And tonight in the NBA, the Wizards return to action with a home game against the Sacramento Kings. And that is your Rock Around the Region, brought to you by the Caporale Group. I cannot tell you I cannot express, I can't really put it into words, how disappointing it was yesterday as I was uh, scrolling through the book of faces and I see the news that Hardy County has gone back to red on the map. The map, which was a, a tremendous source of angst and frustration for me during football season. And to be honest, I kind of forgot about it, right? I, I just, I forgot about the map. Like, once football season ended, I quit paying attention because the numbers were all going down. They were all going down. 
And I'm not saying that I felt comfortable, but you felt a little positive, right? You felt better over the last month or so, two months, about where things were headed in this pandemic, which, again, we talked about this on Monday. There is still a pandemic going on. You get the feeling that some people think that it's over, and it's not, not by a long shot. But you still started to feel better about certain situations, kids getting back to school. We have basketball in most states. You have football. Things were getting better. But then I see the map yesterday, and I see that one red area in Hardy County, and it it just, (laughs) it brought back all the terrible feelings from football season. Because if you listen to the show before, you know, I am not a fan of the map in West Virginia. I may be the, how do you want to put it? I can't say the least fan, but you know what I mean. I hate that map. I cannot stand it. I don't think it, it's one of those things that we talked about it ad nauseum during football season that it was well-intentioned, but the result of the map, it just fell flat. It just fell flat. And just seeing it pop up again yesterday, I was like, oh, come on. Because things are going well. Basketball season started. And games were being played. And then all of a sudden, and you kind of knew. You knew it was going to happen sooner or later. Not, not so much a county going red. But you knew somebody was going to test positive at a school or within a program. And you knew you weren't going to be able to get through an entire season without a game being postponed. You just kind of, that's the way it was going to be. But still seeing East Hardy, I'm sorry, Hardy County, which of course includes East Hardy, seeing them go red, which means they have to shut down everything, that they can't even practice until they get out of the red. It's just, oh man, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Things were going smoothly. Like I said earlier, Frankfurt lost two games this week. They're Frankfurt boys. The girls did too. The girls, I think, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong here, they were supposed to play Moorfield tonight. Well, that game was called off. But I think they picked up somebody else. I just don't know who. I looked online. I checked my usual sources. So I'm fairly certain the Frankfurt girls are playing at home tonight. I just don't know who against. Because I couldn't find it anywhere. So now this is this is the crap that we have to deal with once again, like we did during football season. So hopefully Hardy County can get those numbers back down, get out of the red, and get those kids playing again. Which I know. I know, you know, things are more important in sports, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about you know high school football. The kids, they need to be playing. They're back in school. They need to be playing. All right? They need to be back in school. Of course, now, since Hardy County went red, they can't even go to school now. Now they're back to virtual because of this map. And I don't know if there were positive tests in any of the schools. I don't know if any students. This is where I have the big problem with the map. Like, I don't know if any of the schools were directly affected by COVID. The numbers could be going up around the county. That doesn't necessarily mean that the schools are being directly affected. But because numbers go up, you got to shut everything down. And we're back to this crap again. 
And it's frustrating because I thought we were getting out on the other end of it. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Now now it's it's kind of day-to-day, right? Now all the schedules are screwed up. One good thing yesterday. Look, look. <laughs> a lot of things happened to me yesterday. The one good thing was I got I got my first uh, COVID vaccine shot, which I'll talk about later in the show. That was the one good thing yesterday. Everything else is pretty much, you know, I had to go to the DMV. I, I should tell you everything you need to know right there. After I got my shot yesterday, I had to get it in Kaiser. I had to go to the DMV. And let me just tell you something. I hadn't walked into a DMV in a long time. And if I'm being totally honest, <laughs> the DMV uh, still just sucking the life force out of people uh, just the same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. And I'm not blaming the folks who work down there, uh, the, the people who I came in contact with, very nice people, very helpful people. But there's something when you walk into a DMV it's like walking into another dimension. It's like walking into just something otherworldly, where, where time just ceases to exist. Time slows down to the speed of mud. It, it's it's something. You walk into the DMV and you can just immediately feel yourself just aging, and you're lucky to make it out alive. <laughs> That's what it feels like going to the DMV. And if you don't know, they moved it. I mean, at least on the West Virginia side, it used to be in Romney. And they moved it to Kaiser because, you know, I needed the extra time onto my trip to go to the DMV. But it was painful. It was painful. As a matter of fact, the least painful part of my day yesterday was getting that shot. That was <laughs> that was the least painful part. Although it is kind of sore today. It's a little, it's a little sore today. I will say that. Anyway, all right, uh, let's start with football. We got some NFL free agency news. We'll talk about Washington, the Ravens, the Steelers. And again, next hour, uh, we'll break down the South region in the NCAA tournament. Yesterday was day two of free agency, the legal tampering period, which that's kind of an oxymoron. Is it not legal tampering? I don't know. Washington football team made another, in my opinion, Really good signing. And we talked about it on yesterday's show. I really liked the fighting Rivera's picking up Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. And later yesterday, Washington signed former Bengals cornerback William Jackson III to a three-year deal worth about 42 mil. And Jackson, look, he was Cincinnati's first-round pick back in 2016, He missed his entire rookie season with a torn peck. But then he had a breakout season in 2017 when he came back healthy. He allowed just 10 catches on 41 passes thrown his way with zero touchdowns. That year, he also had a pick and 13 pass deflections. Kind of slumped off a bit in 2018, 2019, but had a a pretty good bounce back year last season when he had 11 pass deflections, eight more than he had in 2019. So here's a guy who's going to be a really good addition to an already solid Washington defense. Uh, The defense was Washington's bread and butter last year. 
the reason why they were even able to come close to winning seven games and win the NFC East was because of their defense. That front, the front four, stellar. Now they add something on the back end in with Jackson. I like what they're doing. Now, I know it's only two moves. I know things can go off the rails in a hurry in the National Football League. But with Fitzpatrick yesterday to stabilize that quarterback room and getting Jackson from the Bengals, I like I like it. They're looking they're looking better now. Again, can they? I can't say compete with the Cowboys because the Cowboys stink. Yeah, you know, the automatic thought is well, the Cowboys signed Dak Prescott, so they're automatically the best team in the NFC East. But their defense is still terrible. So I am hesitant to say, can Washington compete with the Cowboys? It should be the other way around. Because Washington is, after all, the defending NFC East champion. Despite, you know, a sub-500 season. But that's just another nice piece to the puzzle. Something to even solidify that defense even more. As Washington tries to figure things out on the offensive side of the ball. Took a big step yesterday with the quarterback. And again, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not going to throw for 5,000 yards. Well, maybe he will. I don't know. But that's just a good, solid pickup. He'll take the young quarterbacks under his wing. He's a leader in the clubhouse, the locker room, whatever you want to call it. So two days, two signings, and they're both really, really solid for Washington. I like it. I'm not even a Washington fan. But if you are, you should be very happy with what they've done so far. Not a whole lot of moves. Not a whole lot of moving and shaking. But the moves they've made have been pretty good so far. The Ravens and Steelers, they've made some moves. Some good. Some bad. Some that they really couldn't do anything about because of the salary cap. We'll talk about those two teams next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Just dawned on me that uh, today is St. Patrick's Day. And the crazy thing is, that's how much I care about it, because I don't. I wrote today's date about six times this morning as I was taking what we call uh, meter readings in the business. (laughs) And it never registered until during the break. I look up, and I look at the clock, and it's March 17th. I'm like, oh, today's St. Patrick's Day. Don't care. It's just one of those days that I never, you know, Gave too much thought about, put too much, you know, it's just not, if it's for you, great, fine. I'm just talking about me personally here. You know, what, what do they always say? Oh, St. Patrick's Day, the day when everybody's Irish. Uh, yeah, not me. <laughs> not me. I, I don't need a special day to drink beer, okay? I don't, that's pretty much, you know, any day that ends in why for me. But for those of you who do, uh, you know, partake in the festivities, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. And now we move on. Talking NFL free agency, Washington making another good signing yesterday, getting uh, Bengals cornerback William Jackson 
three years of 42 mil. Ravens also spent some money yesterday re-signing defensive end Derek Wolf to a three-year, a $12 million deal, which now keeps Baltimore's defensive front of Wolf, Brandon Williams, and Calais Campbell intact for this season, which is big when you consider they uh, lost Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe yesterday. Uh, Judon, of course, bolted for the Patriots. Uh, New England made another big signing yesterday. Did you see this? They got the tight end from uh, the Chargers, Hunter Henry. Where did they get all this money from? I thought the salary cap went down this season. And the Patriots have signed like 34 people in the last two days. It's ridiculous. I mean, getting Jonu Smith, the tight end, they signed him Monday, and then they turn around and get another tight end yesterday. The Patriots are spending money like it's going out of style. Where do they get all this money from? Is like, is it all guaranteed? What are they doing? I know one thing they're doing is they're making a statement, and they're saying that last season is not going to happen again. Not that, you know, winning free agency guarantees winning games. We've seen that with Washington and Daniel Snyder how many years. Remember, he would go out there and just sign all the big names, and it it just flopped. But he would just go after the biggest names out there in free agency, give them these big deals, and just who was the one – Oh, man, who was he was from Tennessee, right? Wasn't he a Titan? And he was on the market, and Snyder threw a ton of money at him, and he was just awful in Washington. I can't remember his name. Having a senior moment right now. I want It's not Wilkerson. I want to say Wilkerson, but it's not Wilkerson. Zach was his name. Anyway. Patriots so far, after two days, uh, winning free agency, at least they're spending the most money anyway. Uh, back to the Ravens. Uh, the folks at NFL Live had a Ravens roundtable discussion yesterday. And they all agreed they really liked the uh, the Kevin Zeitler signing, getting the uh, guard from the Giants. But they also say the Ravens still have a lot of work ahead of them. Let's start with uh, Mina Kimes. I think there's still work to be done, and Adam's point about wide receivers uh, being available and potentially cheap is certainly pertinent pertinent to Baltimore. But I got to say, I love the Kevin Seitler signing, uh, the guard. very early in free agency because offensive line was a huge issue for Baltimore. When we look at that offense and why it struggled at times last year relative to the year before, the injuries they suffered along the line played a massive role, both in pass pro and run block. I mean, their adjusted sack rate went from 7th in 2019 to 23rd last season. Lamar Jackson was under pressure way too much, and they struggled uh, running the ball at times earlier in the season. Zeitler isn't, you know, a Joe Tooney. He's not the premier player the value reflects that, but he's incredibly consistent. Only missed, like, one game in the last six seasons. And he gives them an anchor next to Ronnie Stanley, who comes back on the left side. Still some question marks, but as far as early moves go, I really like it for the Ravens. Uh, by the way, it was Albert Hainsworth. I couldn't remember the guy's name. He was the guy who Daniel Snyder threw a ton of money at back in 2009. A seven-year, $100 million deal, and he lasted two and a half years in Washington. It was one of the worst signings ever. Anyway, 
So Mina likes the Zeitler signing, and and so did uh, Dan Orlovsky. He praises the signing as well. But he says the Ravens have to get better at these skill positions. Yeah, I agree. The Zeitler move is awesome. Here's my thing, though, with the Ravens. Their most favorable Super Bowl window was closing. Lamar Jackson is about to get expensive, as he should. He's remarkable. They have to find somebody outside or opposite Hollywood Brown that's really good and really reliable. I know they've got Mark Andrews, one of the best tight ends in football, absolutely. But they need a receiver that not that they think is good or they think is going to be an upgrade, that they know, that they can count on, that they they believe that is going to produce outside or opposite Hollywood Brown. Because the reality is this team is trying to go from really good to Super Bowl contender, Super Bowl winner. You're not going to do that if you don't add to a receiver group that over the past two years has been the worst when it comes to production in the NFL. Okay, Okay. so they have to go do that. So I'm looking at the people available behind us here. Who do they get, Dan? Yeah, I mean, Galladay. I mean, no, I I would not get Kenny Galladay if I were them. Mina made the great point a couple weeks ago. Juju Smith Schuster just makes so much sense when it comes to personality, Mm -hmm. stylistically. Um, somebody that's a little bit different than the speedster when it comes to Hollywood Brown, the toughness that is expected within that organization, the willingness to block out on the perimeter, somebody that Lamar Jackson in those third down situations goes, all right, I I, I trust this guy. I know he's going to get open, and I don't care if he's not the burner down the field. But Juju Smith-Schuster makes a ton of sense in Baltimore, and they need to get somebody opposite Hollywood. If you want to see... Steelers Nation have a complete and total meltdown. Watch what happens if Juju Smith-Schuster signs <laughs> with the Ravens. I'm not saying it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, yesterday was the first time I'd even heard of anybody bringing it up. And Juju has become a rather polarizing figure in Pittsburgh. All depends on which side of the fence you sit on. There's one side who loves Juju, who wants the Steelers to re-sign him. He is a free agent. And there's the other side who has become really fed up with his social media presence, all the tick-tocking and the gramming and all that, all the things that the kids are doing and dancing on the logos. Like his act has worn thin with some folks. But I think regardless of what side of that fence you sit on, they would all agree that it would be a massive gut punch if the Steelers could not resign him and he ended up down the road in Baltimore. And then you get to see him two times a year, most likely with a massive chip on his shoulder. And Juju is already hinted around. He's kind of hinted around to his teammates that he's not going to be back in Pittsburgh. Steelers just don't have the money. They just don't. And and Juju's numbers have declined since Antonio Brown left for good reason. I don't have to get into that kind of explanation. But he's still a solid number two. I don't think he solves all of Baltimore's problems. Because I'm not even certain Hollywood Brown's a number one. I know Juju isn't a number one. He was a great number two when Antonio Brown was there. So if the Ravens go out and sign Juju, now they're stuck with two number twos. Because I don't think Hollywood or Juju is a number one. Like a game-breaking, you know, put your best cornerback on number one. Solid, decent, 
better than average, good, but not great. But when you consider the rivalry, you consider the bad blood between Pittsburgh and Baltimore, it would <laughs> it would send Steelers Nation into a tizzy if Juju left and signed with the Ravens. That'd be like Heinz Ward signing with the Ravens. You know what I mean? Not that I would, in any case, compare Juju to Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward is 10 times better, was 10 times better. But again, that's the first time I heard of that yesterday, somebody bringing that up. So something to keep an eye on. On the defensive side of the ball, Ryan Clark, former Steeler, says the Ravens need to fix the holes that are left by uh, Matthew Judon taking off, as well as the Yannick Ngakwe. I think it's a huge deal. Think about this team in the playoffs, the way that they stopped Derrick Henry in the first round. And obviously, and honestly, it wasn't the Buffalo Bills offense that beat the Baltimore Ravens. It was a huge interception return that put that game away because they played well up front and the guys on the back end were able to feed, defeat Humphreys, Marcus Peters. Think about two segments ago when I had my two go-getters, Dan and Mina, going hard at the beginning of the segment. I come in on the back end of the segment and it's great. It's Emmy worthy. That's what happens when you have those dogs up front. And so it's the same thing for the Baltimore Ravens. They have to stay sturdy up front. You have to be able to stop the run and get to the passer. And when you lose two guys like that on the outside, they need to be replaced. Because Dan knows this. Mina knows this. You need depth up front, not only for injuries, but to stay fresh. The Baltimore yeah. Ravens have to replenish that, whether through free agency or the draft. All right, so there you go. That little Ravens roundtable on NFL Live yesterday. And they do. They need to address the linebacker spot. They're solid in the middle. They're good in the middle. They're they're with Patrick uh, Queen. They're 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 set in the middle. Outside could be an issue. And then there's the Steelers, who are hemorrhaging players left and right. And we talked yesterday about Pittsburgh signing a cornerback Cam Sutton. To a two-year deal. And when I saw that, I immediately thought that Mike Hilton was as good as gone. And he is. But he's not going too far. Because Hilton and the Bengals agreed to a four-year, $24 million deal yesterday. And this past season, I loved Hilton. I mean, he was all over the place. He, although I wouldn't make that, you know, the head-to-head comparison... He had shades of Troy Polamalu last season. He had 51 tackles, eight for a loss, three picks, three sacks, two fumble recoveries, and a forced fumble. And he was the guy that I, even more than Bud Dupree or anybody else, he was the guy that I really wanted the Steelers to resign, and they didn't. And it's quite simply, it's just a lack of, of, of salary cap space. And once the Sutton deal was announced, I'm like, well, he's he's done. He's gone. And unfortunately, he's going and he's staying in the division to Cincinnati. But Hilton, not the only guy leaving Pittsburgh yesterday. Tyson Alualu went back to where his career began in Jacksonville, signing a two-year deal. And Alualu was good last year. He took over the uh, the starting nose tackle spot. And when all was said and done, uh, pro Football Focus had him ranked as the ninth best interior lineman in, in all of football. 
<laughs> so he's gone. And the Jags got him on the cheap. It, it, it was only, I, I say only, but relatively speaking, a $6 million deal. He is the $6 million man. So three mil a year, which leads me to believe that the Steelers could have signed him, just didn't want to. And now they're going to have to rely on guys like Isaiah Bugs or Carlos Davis this season if they don't address it in the draft. So Hilton's gone. Alu-Alu's gone. And they released linebacker Vince Williams after he spent eight seasons with the team. <laughs> Everybody's leaving. Williams was a full-time starter in uh, three of the last four seasons. But this is a salary cap move as they uh, they save $4 bucks against the cap. Now, they did manage to keep offensive lineman Zach Banner, who missed most of last season with an injury. Assuming he's healthy, he's going to start at one of the tackle spots this season. But the Steelers are just having a rough, a rough go of it. Hilton's gone. Alu-Alu's gone. Vince Williams is gone. Bud Dupree is gone. Juju is going to be gone. <laughs> They're going to be, I don't know. But hey, they got Ben back, right? They got their, uh, you know, 74-year-old quarterback back. So that's worth something, I guess. They're losing everybody else. Maybe they can bring back James Conner so he can get hurt 10 out of the 16 games this year. All right, final break of the hour. Come back and wrap it up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Talking NFL free agency next hour. We're going to break down the South region in the NCAA tourney. Talked about Washington. Another signing yesterday. The Ravens uh, making some moves. The Steelers basically losing everybody. <laughs> I just I retweeted something on both of our pages at ESPN Morning Rush and at Rush Tony C. Somebody someone did a great job and basically said Cam Hayward walking into the Steelers facility after 2021 free agency. And it's just a picture of Cam Hayward photoshopped onto the final scene of uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know what I'm talking about? When Will was just standing in the empty living room all by himself, all the furniture is gone because they were moving out. (laughs) They put Cam Hayward's face on that picture with like a a giant Steelers rug on the floor because there's not going to be anybody left. That's fun. That's good stuff. Oh, I love Photoshop. Photoshop is good. Uh, some other free agency news. This one announced this morning. Uh, the 49ers and offensive lineman Trent Williams agreed to a six-year, 138. Now, this is crazy. A $138.06 million deal, which will make him the highest paid offensive lineman in the history of of the National Football League. Uh, The deal has $55.1 million in guaranteed money and also includes a $30.1 million signing bonus. That's a lot of cheddar. 
That is, look, he was the best. He was the best lineman available in the off season. This, uh, you know, the free agent period. Uh, Kansas City was expected to be into uh, in the discussions for Trent Williams. The Bears were as well, but the Niners get him. They kick off the third day of free agency with a bang. Six year, one hundred and thirty eight point zero six. Uh, million dollars. Again, the highest paid O-lineman ever. Also, uh, the Bills signed Emmanuel Sanders, the wide receiver to a one-year deal. The Lions are close to finalizing a trade to get Michael Brockers from the Rams. The Chiefs, they cut Super Bowl hero Damian Williams. So he is available. He's on the market. And then you have the Bears, <laughs> who were in hot pursuit of Deshaun Watson this offseason. They were in really hot pursuit of Russell Wilson trying to strike a trade there. Instead, <laughs> they end up with Andy Dalton. That's right, the Bears, to solve their quarterback woes, to challenge Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky in training camp, <laughs> they sign Andy Dalton to a one-year, $10 million deal. Here's Adam Schefter. First and foremost, let's start with the elephant in the room, right? Russell Wilson listed, or his agent listed, the Bears as one of the places that Russell Wilson would accept a trade to with a no-trade clause in his contract. Well, I'm told that the Chicago Bears made a quote-unquote very aggressive pursuit. Those were the exact words that were used to me, a very aggressive pursuit to try to pry loose Russell Wilson from the Seahawks. And they were told that the Seahawks were not interested in trading Russell Wilson at this time. Now, that doesn't mean eventually next month, next year, whenever it may be that Seattle won't eventually trade Russell Wilson. But the Bears were finding it such that the Seahawks were unwilling to budge right now. And the Seahawks also, or the Bears also liked Andy Dalton at this time. Andy Dalton was on the market. Andy Dalton had other interested teams. And the Bears decided to get a deal done with Andy Dalton today. That one-year contract that we talked about, $10 million, another few million in incentives to become the Chicago Bears starting quarterback. Now, I know Nick Foles is there, but I think Dalton goes in there as the guy that's going to wind up being the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And ultimately, the Bears put everything they could into trying to trade for Russell Wilson, were told it wasn't going to happen, and moved on to the next option, which they found to be Andy Dalton. And they thought that Andy Dalton was a quarterback that they wanted to bring in. So that's what happened, mm-hmm. basically. No on Russell Wilson, yes on Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton becomes the favorite to become the Bears' starting quarterback this season. And you know, we ran down the list not too long ago about the quarterbacks and the history of the Chicago Bears, and it is a list... That is not very good. So now they go into the season with a quarterback room of Andy Dalton, Mitch Trubisky, and Nick Foles. Michael Wilbon, Mr. Chicago, uh, he's not happy. I'm angry about the Bears. And I told you they were never getting rust out of Seattle. I, I told you that. Because the, the GM isn't competent enough to do that. And they might not want it to give him up anyway in Seattle. But let me just mention that Ryan Pace, the GM I'm about to attack, 
He chose Trubisky in the draft. He moved up to get him ahead of guys named Watson and Mahomes. Now he's choosing Dalton over Trubisky, who he drafted. Trubisky, who has a record, a record of 29 and 21. For all the grief Trubisky takes as a starter, 29 and 21. Two out of three years in the playoffs, the two out of the last three. Yeah. This is a disaster. And it, it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that Dalton is the worst guy in the league. It doesn't mean that. But the Bears yet, this is a franchise that's 102 years old. And they've had like four quarterbacks you'd want in the entire century plus of business. And this guy, Ryan Pace, should be fired if this is all he can do. And his coach, Matt Nagy, because he didn't want to coach Trubisky, he wanted to pine away for his days as an assistant in Kansas City where he had Mahomes as a red shirt. He should be fired fired because he doesn't want to coach Trubisky. These guys, I've been telling you this for three or four years. They are a disaster. They have led to ruin the Chicago Bears. And the Bears aren't always great, but they're not this incompetent. This is awful. Wilbon, getting involved. Fire everybody. He's not wrong, though. (laughs) He's not wrong. Look, Andy Dalton's not terrible. I think he filled in, you know, admirably for Dak Prescott last year in Dallas. They could do worse. They tried to do, at least they tried to get Russell Wilson. They tried. They had a meeting. The two GMs got together. They tried to hash it out. They tried to get Wilson. They tried to get better. It didn't work. Now they have Andy Dalton. (laughs) Probably the starter for the Bears. What's the over-under on that win total this year? Eight? Seven? I don't know. All right. Hour number two coming up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get to the NCAA tournament, South Region, let's rock around the Region. I want to rock right now. And we start with boys' high school basketball where we had a bunch of postponements last night not much else. Frankfurt at Kaiser, postponed. Pendleton County at Moorfield. And East Hardy at Berkeley Springs, postponed. Hardy County went to red on the West Virginia DHHR COVID map, meaning all Moorfield and East Hardy sports are shut down. Just having nightmarish flashbacks about football season. Shut down until the county gets out of the red. It is the only red county in the state. On the girls' side, the game between Petersburg and East Hardy at EH also postponed. Tonight, maybe, hopefully, uh, Berkeley Springs is hosting Petersburg in both boys' and girls' action. In high school volleyball, Gracie Lindner had 19 points, 11 digs to lead Mountain Ridge to a 3-1 win over Allegheny. On the ice last night, more history for the great eight. A shot, and Ovechkin scores! Alex Ovechkin has passed Phil Esposito for sixth all-time in NHL history. That is goal 718. A power play marker from the office makes it 2 Nothing. Washington. Well, the Caps stick with it here. The big line stays out there. Connor Sheary gets out there. The puck goes to Schultz. A quick pass over to Ovechkin. And he rips that top shelf short side. What a shot that was. 
once again scored a big goal for him historic goal but he continues to be on the hot streak and more importantly the Capitals up 2-0 make the Islanders pay for two mistakes they made two goals John Walton and Ken Saber in the call on the Capitals radio network Ovechkin also had an assist for career point number 1300 as the Caps beat the first place Islanders 3-1 in Washington TJ Oshie and Nicholas Backstrom also scored for the Caps who have won six straight. Elsewhere, the Penguins had their six-game win streak snapped with a 2-1 loss to the Bruins in Pittsburgh. Dan Vladner, or Vlad, what's his name? It's not Vlad, there's no N in there. Vladar, there you go, Dan Vladar. (laughs) Made 34 saves to pick up his first NHL win in his very first NHL start. It was Boston's first win in Pittsburgh since December uh, 2015. Brandon Tanev had the lone goal for the Penguins. Major League Baseball spring training action. The Pirates doubled up the Twins 4-2. Kevin Newman had three hits from the leadoff spot for the Bucks. Elsewhere, Nationals host, I'm sorry, not host, lost to the Marlins 4-3. Victor Robles and Josh Bell, former Pirate, Homeward for the Nats and the Orioles' loss of the Rays, a 7-1. Today, the Pirates take on the Rays. The O's are hosting the Braves, and the Nationals are off. And tonight in the NBA, the Wizards return to action with a home game against Sacramento. And Matt reminding me here on Facebook, Potomac State, the Lady Catamounts in action tonight at Garrett at 6 o'clock. The game can be streamed uh, on Garrett's Facebook page. There you go, Matt. Thank you very much for the information. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Uh, I am struggling just a bit this morning. I have <clears throat> a little a little throat my frog. This, this is going to be a very rough couple of months for uh, people like myself who have allergies because I can't wait when I start getting a little bit of a scratchy throat or a little bit of a runny nose and itchy eyes, and I can't wait to get all of the, you know, the crooked looks from people when I have to clear my throat or cough a little bit because of my allergies. Because you know where it's automatically going to go, right? Oh, he's coughing. Oh, you got the COVID? He's got the COVID. No, I got allergies. Get out of my face. That's what it's going to be. So I feel like I got a little allergy, you know, some allergy action going on this morning. Or it could be the shot from yesterday. I don't know. I got my first vaccine shot yesterday. COVID vaccine shot yesterday. And not not bad. The arm is a little bit sore. You know, I don't think it's any more sore than any other shot that I get. And I got to tell you, I've never looked more forward to getting a shot in my life. than I, I was so excited <laughs> to get this shot yesterday. To get this, you know, to get this ball rolling. And I tell you what, I got it down in Kaiser. Folks down there, very good, very efficient. Didn't take long at all. As soon as I walk in, I give my name, you know, ID. They give me paperwork, like one page of paperwork to fill out. Didn't take me no more than a couple minutes. As soon as I handed in my paperwork, they're like, all right, you're next. I sit down, roll up the sleeve, little alcohol swab, shot. And you have to wait for 15 minutes. You can't leave, like, automatically, immediately. They give you a little 15-minute timer. You sit down just to make sure, you know. 
your arm doesn't blow up, you know, no allergic reaction or whatever. 15 minutes is up, and, and, and you're done. It was, it was painless yesterday. I bet you I was in there no more than 20 minutes. Seriously. And, and most of that was the 15 minutes that I had to wait. Very efficient, in and out. So step one, complete. And as I mentioned in the first hour, that was the, uh, that was the painless part of my day yesterday because after that, I had to go to the DMV. And boy, let me tell you something. Things haven't gotten much better <laughs> at the old DMV. And it's nothing against the folks that work there. They're very nice people. And if you don't know, the DMV moved from Romney to Kaiser. So since I was already in Kaiser to get my shot, I had to handle some, some motor vehicle business. And it was just, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. My license is going to expire. All right, my birthday's coming up here in a couple weeks. And so I need to renew my license. And you got to have proof of residency in order to renew your license. And usually you use like a, a utility bill with your name on it and with a current address. But I don't have any of those at the house because Mrs. C pays all the bills at her office. So she has all those. So I didn't have one at the house to use. I don't have a voter card. I'm not registered to vote. I do vote, but I don't have a card. And they have this list. If you ever look or you've renewed your, your license recently, you know that there's a list. Like, number one, you got to provide you know, current photo ID, which is your license. Number two, choose one from any of the list for proof of residency. Well, I didn't have a utility bill, but it said right there that you can turn in a W-2. Because W-2 has your name, your address, your social security number. So I'm like, all right, I'll just take down my W-2. It's not a problem. So I go into the DMV, and there's like an information desk that you have to go to first. I need to get my, my, my license renewed. She's like, oh, you got proof of, you know, residency. Like, yeah, here's a W-2. She's like, I don't know if I can, if this works, if I, if I can take this. I'm like, because it says right there on the list, you can use a W-2 as, as long as it's, you know, no more than 18 months old. And she's like, well, there's no data on this. I was like, I know, but it's, it's got to be within the last 18 months. She says, I have to go ask. She goes back and asks, comes back out and tells me that it's not good, that it can't use it. I'm like, what? Y'all, we, we, we like proof of residency to be within the last 90 days, which is usually a utility bill. But if you like your proof of residency within the last 90 days, then why is the W-2 on the list of things that are acceptable? That's what I don't understand. That's why the DMV is so frustrating. If the W-2 that's less than 18 months old is not acceptable, then why does it say on the list that a W-2 less than 18 months old is acceptable? If you need something 90 days, just say it. 90 days. Proof of residency. So now, i got to go back down to get my license renewed before it expires. That's what makes the DMV so frustrating. Stuff like that. I also had to get my registration renewed, my uh, vehicle registration, which took over an hour. Took over an hour. I had to wait for an hour because there are people in front of me. So I ended up having to go over to Walmart and Kaiser, walk around for a little bit, grab uh, like a sub and some chips and whatnot, 
ate in my car and just sat there and waited for him to call me to come in. And that process took about five minutes to renew my registration. So I go to DMV yesterday, probably invest close to an hour and a half of my time for a five-minute process to renew my registration, and I still don't have a new license. God bless the DMV. Sucking the life force out of people for decades. Anyway. Just a painful process, man. Like, how, how, can you, how can you do something for so long and still not be able to get it right? And again, not the people. People there are very nice. The woman, very helpful. Or the lady at the information desk, very helpful. But my goodness, is he, you haven't figured out an easier way yet. Anyway, all right, let's go to uh, the NCAA tournament. Yesterday, we began our predictions for the tourney as we broke down the West region. And I have Iowa beating Gonzaga in the region final to reach the final four. And if you want to go back and listen to the entire breakdown, head over to our podcast page on the free Podbean app. It's under yesterday's show. It's right there. Today, we're going to break down the South region where Baylor is a number one seed for the first time in school history. And the Bears will face the number 16 seed Hartford in round one. Hartford making its first ever trip to the NCAA tournament. And it's no surprise, it's no secret, Baylor's been one of the best teams in the country all season. Even with that long COVID pause that kind of threw them off their game just a little bit. They finished 13-1 in the Big 12 this year, second toughest conference in the country. There are four games better than anybody else in the Big 12 this year. Four games better. Hartford, the Hawks, they won the America East title as a four seed. And they're one of those teams that really like to slow the game down. They really like to slow down the pace, which is something that can really go against them when they they fall behind a high-power team like Baylor, which they will. <laughs> and it won't end well This is a no-brainer. Baylor is going to win this game easily and move on. In the 8-9 game, a very intriguing game for nothing else but name recognition. Number 8, North Carolina versus number 9, Wisconsin. UNC, 18-10 overall, 10-6 in the ACC. Whiskey was 17-12, 10-10 in the Big Ten. And Experience is going to be a big factor in this game. Wisconsin has four seniors in the starting lineup, and that's a big reason why they led the country this year with only 8.9 turnovers per game. With more on the experience factor, here's Jay Billis. North Carolina's a great offensive rebounding team. They've got big guys. They struggle a little bit at the guard spot because their guards are so young. And I've said throughout the the last half of the year that no team needed to get out of the Big Ten and see new blood more than Wisconsin. (laughs) Wisconsin has the oldest team in, in the world. Uh, they've had their driver's licenses since you know for eight or nine years now, all of them. Uh, but they're way better than their record. I think they're going to be able to control the tempo with uh, with Micah Potter and with Nate Reavers. I think they are big enough to be able to hold their own on the glass. The way that Carolina wins is yep. second shots. Mm-hmm. And if Wisconsin can control the tempo, keep them out of transition, and keep them from getting second shots, I think Wisconsin, with their experience and their guard play, is going to move on. 
And look, Badgers also have one of the best defenses in the country. They're allowing just 64 points a game. And uh, they are 12-0 and 0 when they finish a game with a better shooting percentage than their opponent. I like Wisconsin to move on and face Baylor in round two. In the 5-12 game in the South region, number five Villanova versus number 12 Winthrop. Nova, 16-6 this season, 11-4 in the Big East. Winthrop lost just one game all season long. 23-1 overall, 17-1 in the Big South. And the Eagles are a team that they just throw everybody at you. You talk about a deep bench. They have 11 players who average at least 10 minutes per game. So everybody gets a trophy when you play for Winthrop. They're 10th in the nation in rebounding at 40 and a half boards a game. Now Villanova, they suffered a, a big time blow when they lost starting important guard uh, Colin Gillespie. He got lost for the season with a knee injury. He was averaging 14 points, nearly five assists a game. What they call a floor leader, a floor general. He's a point guard. And I know a lot of people love the 12 over 5 upsets here in, in, in the tournament. You know, we love our 12-5 upsets. And people are going to fall in love with Winthrop's lofty record, 23-1, and one, only one loss. But Nova still has Jeremiah Robinson Earl, 16 points, 8 boards a game. Jermaine Daniels, 12-6. and six, And they have Jay Wright as their head coach. I like the Wildcats to advance. Don't be fooled by Winthrop's record. Nova losing Gillespie is going to hurt in the later rounds, not in the first round. The game underneath that one, number four Purdue against number 13 North Texas. The mean green, baby. Purdue 18-8 overall, 13-6 in the Big Ten. The mean green 17-9 overall, 9-5 in Conference USA. Now, we talked about Wisconsin's experience earlier. North Texas, like Whiskey, has four seniors in the starting lineup. Javion Hamlet, the man to watch for North Texas, 14 points, four assists a game. <clears throat> Got a little, uh, little throat in my frog. I told you. Allergies. 14 points, four assists per game, and he shoots nearly 90% from the free throw line. Purdue ended the regular season on a hot streak. They won 11 of their last 14 games. Boilermakers, one of the better resumes in the country, 14 quad one and two wins, which is second in the entire country behind only Illinois. And they have the big fella, the big man, Travion Williams. He makes Purdue go. 14 points, nine rebounds a game. North Texas won't have an answer for him or anybody else. I think Purdue moves on. So that's the upper part, the upper half of the South region. When we come back, we'll break down the lower half, starting with a very, very intriguing matchup. Number six, Texas Tech, and number 11, Utah State. We got news and weather coming up. When we come back, the bottom half of the South region Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
is the morning rush. Rush line is open 301-759-2628, 301-759-2628. Been breaking down the South region in this year's NCAA tournament. Uh, last segment, we went over the first half, the top half of said region. And we had Baylor, Wisconsin, Villanova, and Purdue all moving on to the round of 32. In the bottom half of the region, the sixth seed, Texas Tech, will take on number 11, Utah State. This one, one of the more intriguing matchups in the first round. Tech, there's that phone again. My goodness. every I forget every morning. Every morning I forget to mute that. And I don't know why. Anyway, where was I? Oh, Tech, 17 and 10 overall this year, 9 and 8 in the Big 12. Utah State, 20 and 8 overall, 15 and 4 in the Mountain West, and got an at large bid. The Aggies' success revolves around seven footer Nemius Keita, who was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, and he averaged a double double this season 14.7 points. 10 rebounds per game. Texas Tech, look, they made the finals two years ago. They lost to Virginia, but this team uh, looks a heck of a lot different than that team from two years ago. Kyler Edwards, really only the uh, significant holdover from that team that lost to Virginia in that championship game. And West Virginia fans, you, you know the name Mac McClung. He averaged 15.7 points a game for the Red Raiders. Yesterday, I told you that an 11 seed has beaten a 6 seed in each of the last 15 tournaments. And this is where it happens again. I like Utah State to pull the upset. I don't like how Texas Tech finished the season. The Mountain West... Not nearly as bad of a conference as people think. And I like the big fella. Nemius Keita. Get to know his name because you'll know it after the first round. The big seven-footer. Do I really need to say that? Do I really need to say big seven-footer like there's a small (laughs) seven-footer? It's like I said before, I can't stand announcers who call it a long three-pointer. They're all long. Every three-pointer ever shot was a long shot. Anyway. I like Utah State to pull the upset over Texas Tech. Winner of that game, again, Utah State, will face the winner between number three, Arkansas, and number 14, Colgate. Arkansas, 22-6 and six this season, 13-4 and four in the SEC. Colgate played just 15 games. They were 14-1 overall, 11-1 in the Patriot League. They have a a young fellow named Jordan Burns, who was the Patriot League Player of the Year, averaging 17 points a game. Colgate can move up and down the floor, second in the country, at 86.4 points a game, and their first in defensive rebounding, which of course leads to the outlet and the transition and the fast break and the 86.4 points a game. The Raiders have never won an NCAA tournament game. And they won't get it this year. (laughs) I don't know if there's such a thing 
as a 22-6 and six team flying under the radar. But I feel like Arkansas has just been kind of kind of been there this year, right? I, I just think they've been overlooked by everybody for most of the season. They had won 12 straight SEC games before losing to LSU in the SEC uh, semifinals. Each of the Razorbacks' six losses this year came to a team that is in this year's NCAA tournament. I like Arkansas to win more than one game in this tournament, and they're going to win, they're going to move on. In the 7-10 game in the South region, perhaps the most boring matchup of the entire tournament, number 7 Florida and number 10 Virginia Tech. Gators 14-9 overall, 9-7 in the SEC. Tech 15-6 overall. That's 15 combined losses between the two schools. 9-4 in the ACC. Florida lost three of its last four conference games heading into the NCAA tournament. And we talked about the story before. You know, they had uh, the star junior, Keontae Johnson, the preseason SEC player of the year. But he was lost for the year. Remember, he collapsed during a game. I think it was against Florida State. And he never suited up again this season. So Florida would have a much better shot and would be a much more intriguing team if Johnson was still playing, but he is not. Tech is led by a young fellow named Keve Aluma, who averages 15.5 points and eight boards a game. I'm just being honest. I, I, I can't get excited about this. This game is... It's as vanilla as vanilla can get. It is milk toast. It is. It's two teams that were just middle of the pack. Like I said, Florida, you know, fourteen and nine. Tech fifteen and I can't. I got to pick it. I have to pick it. But I'll take Tech to win in advance. I don't know if they will. I don't care because they're going to lose in it. Whoever wins is going to lose in the next round anyway. I would avoid going to the window. And placing any hard-earned ducats on the Florida-Virginia Tech game. But I'll take Tech the win just because. And the very last game of the South region that we'll go over, number 2 Ohio State taking on number 15 Oral Roberts. Buckeyes were 28, I'm sorry, 21-8 and eight overall, 12-8 and eight in the Big Ten. Oral Roberts, 16-10 and 10 overall, 10-5 and five in the Summit League, they were the Summit League champions. The Golden Eagles, led by Conference Player of the Year, Max Abmus, who led the entire country in scoring this season, 24.3 points a game. ORU was top 15 in the country in points per game, and number one in the nation, they made 11.3 three-pointers a game. So they will launch it from any spot on the floor. But on the flip side, they rank in the bottom 60 in defense in the country. Ohio State got off to a great start this season. They were a top 10 team, top 5 team for the longest time. But they they lost four straight to end the season. And they finished fifth in the Big Ten. But they still ended up with 12 quad one and two wins. And look, they're a number two seed for a reason. 
before that late slide, they were considered you know possibly a number one seed in the tournament. They're going to roll over Oral Roberts in the first round. So after all of that, we come down to this, the second round in the South region. And this is all according to my predictions. Obviously, you could have something completely different. If you do, give us a call, 301-759-2628. Second round, we got Baylor versus Wisconsin, Villanova versus Purdue, Utah State getting the upset versus Arkansas, and Virginia Tech versus Ohio State. Starting at the top, I think Wisconsin and that senior leadership will give Baylor a good game. I think they'll give Baylor all they can handle before the Bears, you know, pull it out at the end and they'll move on to the Sweet 16, where they will play Purdue. I think the Colin Gillespie loss finally catches up with Villanova in that second round. And I like Purdue to win that game and move on. I like Arkansas, again, the -the under-the-radar Razorbacks over Utah State and Ohio State to have very little trouble with Virginia Tech. Ohio State, I'll tell you what, for a 2C, got a pretty good draw there. And In the region semifinals, I like Baylor over Purdue. And in the other one, I'm telling you what, I went back and forth on this one a lot. I like Arkansas. (laughs) I like Arkansas to knock off Ohio State and move on to the region final. But that's where it ends for the Razorbacks. I like Baylor to win that game, win the region, and move on to the final four. Joining Iowa, who we picked yesterday out of the West region. So that's two of the four that I have in the books. I got Iowa and Baylor, two of your final four teams. Tomorrow... We're going to run down the Midwest region where Illinois is uh, the top seed. Actually, no, we're not going to do that. Wait a minute. Did I have that wrong? Because what I wanted to do, uh, it's not going to matter. I wanted to save, I forgot that Maryland and West Virginia are in two different regions. Because I wanted to save the last region for Friday. Because we're going to preview both the West Virginia and Maryland games on Friday in depth. So maybe we'll do the East region tomorrow where Maryland is a 10 seed and we'll save the Midwest. Yeah, we'll we'll do the East region tomorrow. Little programming update, little switcheroo right in the middle of the show. We're flexible here. So we'll break down the East region tomorrow where Michigan is the number one seed. Then we'll do the Midwest region uh, on Friday. So there you go. Look, I like, I've seen Baylor uh, more than a couple times this season. Nobody is taller than like 6'4". <laughs> they all look like the same player. That's an exaggeration, but you get the point. And they're just, they're just a bunch of athletes up and down the floor. I like the way they play. Again, they dominated the Big 12, which is the second toughest conference in the entire country. They finished four games better than any team in the Big 12. Yeah, okay, so they stumbled down the stretch a little bit. But I think the the COVID issues, the long COVID pause, really had an effect on them because they didn't look look great when they came back at all. They struggled beating Iowa State. And they kind of, you know, they got things back on track a little bit. They beat West Virginia in overtime. They did lose to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament, but Oklahoma State's playing well. 
But I think come tournament time, see, their first game would be uh, they're playing Friday. I, I think they're going to be ready. Uh, they're going to be ready. They're going to be healthy, you would hope. And, you know, they, Baylor and Gonzaga were the number the top two teams in the country all season. You look at all the polls, you look at all the rankings, Gonzaga's been number one, Baylor's been number two all year. Now, I know I have Gonzaga getting beat in the West Region Final to Iowa, but uh, Baylor's going to be a tough out for anybody. But I like, I like Arkansas to make a nice deep run in the South Region. I like that team. Again, not, not a whole lot of people talking about them this year. So we'll see what happens. Tomorrow, again, we will break down the East Region, and then Friday we will break down the uh, the Midwest. And then we'll get ready for the first round, which, again, is Friday, the first four games tomorrow. And we'll briefly, briefly go over the first four games tomorrow along with the East Region breakdown. All right, uh, one final break, then we're back to wrap things up. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. There is a piece of equipment in this studio that's uh, chirping right now. Very distracting. Very annoying. Oh, and there it is. gone. Just like that, it's gone. I felt like something was going to explode. I guess we're good. All right. Anyway, uh, still got time to get a call under the wire at 301-759-2628. Before we get out of here, before we ski-daddle, let's check on the player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? This for the lead. On the way. It's good. Ball throws it in all the way down the floor to Zion. Turns, shoots off the glass of the horn, hits the rim. No good. Damian Lillard with 50 points, 20 in the fourth quarter. Wins it for the Trailblazers. Sean Kelly of the call right there on ESPN Radio. Dame Lillard goes for a half a hundo. None more important than two free throws with 1.2 seconds left to give the Blazers a 125-124 win over the Pels in Portland. Blazers rallied from 17 points down in the final six minutes. To get the win, Lillard was perfect from the free throw line, 18 for 18. He also surpassed 16,000 points and 4,000 assists, joining very select company, Oscar Robertson, Larry Bird, and LeBron James, as the only players to reach those milestones in their first nine seasons. So Dame Lillard, our player who delivered yesterday, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, One player or team that hasn't delivered at all this year is the Buffalo Sabres. The absolute worst team in the National Hockey League. And they fired their head coach just minutes ago. News comes down that Ralph Kruger is out. The Sabres have lost 12 straight games. They only have 16 points the entire year. They've only won six games. That's it. 
They've won six games, 16 points. The next closest team, the Devils have 22. Let's see here. The Ducks, the Senators, the Devils, and the Red Wings all have 22 points. The Sabres are six points behind all of them for worst record in the entire league. Again, 12-game losing streak. So Ralph Kruger out as head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. What a mess. The Sabres are such an absolute mess. And they had a little bit of promise, a little reason for hope. They have, you know, Jack Eichel, but he got hurt. Jeff Skinner has been a, a, a bust so far. They signed free agent Taylor Hall, who hasn't done anything. They have been through a bunch of coaches recently. They just can't seem to get it right. They're one of those teams that just can't seem to get it right. So Ralph Kruger out of Buffalo, which might not be a terrible thing. I didn't. I knew they were bad. I didn't until I looked at the record. I didn't realize they were just six wins. They played twenty eight games. They have six wins. Oh my goodness! A minus thirty seven goal differential. Meanwhile, at the top of that division, Capitals, they're back in first place after beating the Islanders last night. I, I guess technically they're tied for first. Both of them have forty two points. Caps have won six straight. The Penguins are in third with 37 points, and the Bruins, who beat the Pens last night, they are three points back. The Flyers have 31. So the East Division, which I don't even think it's an argument, is by far the most stacked division in the NHL. That's going to come down to the wire. Caps are playing great. Islanders had one nine in a row. Pens had one six in a row. Boston is kind of getting things together. Flyers are kind of hanging around. Even the Rangers at 26 points. Who do the Caps have next? I should know this because we'll have it. I think, uh, I don't know. Who do the Caps have next? Caps and Pens. I know the Penguins have the Devils uh, for two games, which is good news for them. The Caps have the Rangers coming up next. So uh, Caps and Pens against two of the bottom half of the East Division. So there you go. Again, tomorrow we're going to break down the uh, East Region and the NCAA Tournament. Then Friday, the Midwest Region. Give you my final four picks. I'll give you my pick for the national champion on Friday. Also Friday, another Rush Friday feature. My main man, Joe Shuda, will talk with uh, Darnell Coles. Remember Darnell Coles, former Pittsburgh Pirate? He will be the uh, feature of our Rush uh, Friday feature. Some Major League Baseball news. Uh, Tyler Glasnow, former Pirate, will be the Rays' opening day starter. <laughs> it's amazing. When I, it's funny when I do the highlights and I go over like I did it today when I go over the uh, the Nationals lost yesterday, but Josh Bell hit a home run. I just see all these former Pirates just strewn around Major League Baseball. I think the Nats have like three former Pirates. Don't they have Josh Bell, uh, Josh Harrison, and isn't is Jordy Mercer still there? Didn't they sign him? I think. You just see all these former Pirates. Oh, the Yankees have Garrett Cole and Jamison Tyone, right? The, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they have 
uh, Glasnow and Austin Meadows. Is uh, what's his name still there? Uh, is Charlie Morgan still in Tampa? Or did he go somewhere else? I'm not quite sure. This is very frustrating as a Pirates fan <laughs> to look around and see all these players that used to be good for the Pirates be good somewhere else. Somebody sent me an email yesterday about the win totals, which we went over uh, not too long ago. I'm not exactly sure where these win totals came from, what publication, but they have the Pirates dead last in Major League Baseball this year at 58 and a half. That's the win total. I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, as sure as I sit here, give me the over. I will take the Pirates over 58 and a half wins this year. If I can get that, you know, if I can get that line somewhere, if I can get that number somewhere set in stone, I'm taking it. I'm taking the over 58 and a half. They're not going to be great. They're going to lose a ton of games, but I don't think they're going to be as bad as people think they are. They're going to be terrible, but not super terrible. I will definitely take the Bucs over 58 and a half wins. They will not be, mark my word, I'm saying it right now, on this St. Patrick's Day 2021, the Pirates will not be the worst team in Major League Baseball. I just have a gut feeling. Eh, they might be the second worst team. Yeah, maybe the third worst team. But they're not going to be the worst team. And they are not going to get 58 and a half wins. Or that's impossible, but you know what I mean. All right. Tomorrow, break down the East region. More free agency stuff and whatever else comes down the pipe. See you then. 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.